Hello and welcome home. You are listening to the Tribe Abuja podcast. We hope this message inspires and encourages you to know and make known the truth and love of God the Father as expressed through His Son, Jesus Christ. Let's listen to the message. I want to encourage us to pray this way. 
you're using a prayer like start small. I'm not saying that you need just a standing sit up prayer. Jesus teaches his disciples to simply what to pray with you one at a time. So join them one at a time. Start no, just start with you. I gave up my time two weeks ago and I was just fasting with one at a time. Start with one at a time. Then progress. And Jesus the Bible tells us that he will find a desolate place or he isolate himself to go and pray. So find time where it's just you and Jesus. Because you need to pray. Your destiny or the vision of your life demands it. You're not called to be ordinary. And if you're to live an extraordinary life, you must pray. We have to pray. If you are to be an extraordinary church, we have to pray. Amen. So we'll be organizing prayer stretches, um, um, completing the calendar of different times, where we'll gather and pray. We've done six hours now. We may do nine and twelve. Amen. Trust me, you can do it. Some of you used to do it before. So, I, I just want to encourage you. Are you together on this? Amen? Set prayer goals. Like, I'm going to, like, turn off your phone, turn off, like, some strange people, send them away. You know notifications, you have cover Bible, where nobody is disturbing you, nothing is touching you. Just you and Jesus. Hallelujah. One of the things I was teaching them yesterday was you see the levels of relationship Jesus had with people, um, you know, the crowd or the multitude, and the ones that just wanted bread and food. They were looking for him just for healing and what they could get from him. Then they were the um, followers and disciples, then the apostles, then the inner prophets of Peter, James, and John. Then Peter, who eventually became the leader of the church. And every one of them had different relationships with Jesus. Amen. The, the, the multitude of the crowd, what he got was bread and food. The disciples said, Lord, teach us how you do this thing. Or teach us how to pray. Amen. So in your own life, you must be able to distinguish between I don't want to say who are people who are important, but because of the, the um, importance and heaviness of the vision on your life, of your destiny, you need to segment people. There are people that they are only charmers. Do you understand? You see them, you talk not to, fine, go your own way. Do you understand? Then, as, as people progress or as the relationship, the hierarchy of the relationship in your life, as you segmented it, you must be able to know what you tell them and listen to them and how you interact with them. But above all, there is so much on your life that you have to pray. We have to pray. Amen. That's the only way you make progress. If not, we will just glide through 2021 where you are tossed around by the wind and the wind. And that will not be a story in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, Father, we pray as we go into the sermon that you speak to me and to me. In Jesus' name. Amen.
Amen. So I want to talk about a part of the Bible I love so much and I admire so much. Some of the people I admire in the Bible are people that um, had a very amazing relationship with the Lord, but they were able to not lose their righteousness when they interact with the world. So we see Joseph in Egypt, Daniel and the Hebrew boy in Babylon and Nebuchadnezzar. Then we also see another man called Nehemiah. Amen. I love that man so much. A lot of us look at Nehemiah and we just see how God turned his story. He was a copier and then he became a governor. He has that glass to great story, right? And like the God changed with your story, and God changed with my story. Exactly. So, um, there was a journey. I particularly love reading that book. Almost every time, I can get one of the best friends. So, just a little bit of background about Nehemiah's story. Um, you will see that Nehemiah is a man that was clearly used by God. And God you can tell it's because he submitted to the will of God. Nehemiah, we are told, was a cupbearer, and cupbearer to King Artaxerxes. So, fun fact, he said that King Artaxerxes' stepmother wanted to kill Esther. So, um, Nehemiah expected the time when um, the, the, the Nebuchadnezzar had gone and plundered Jerusalem and the Israelites to Babylon and made them slaves, right? Then we know how Babylon passed from Babylon to Persia. Then the Israelites were still slaves in the foreign land. But um, before Nehemiah, some of them had gone back to Jerusalem, had gone back to the city, and that is some of the exiles had gone back home. Then um, that was led by the man called Zerubbabel. And Zerubbabel had led kind of like the first press or the first cohort of um, exiles back to Jerusalem. But um, another man called Ezra, you know the story of Ezra as well, some of us who are a very, very amazing book in the Bible. He went before, some years before Nehemiah, and he helped lead kind of like a spiritual transformation in the nation of Israel. Then we now see the man Nehemiah. And it said that the book of Ezra and Nehemiah, before it was separated like this, it was actually one book. So people used to actually read it as if it was one book, like Ezra and Nehemiah. So we meet Ezra and Nehemiah in chapter 1, where his brother comes from Jerusalem and he brings the story to him and he tells him that the walls of the city are still in ruins and the exiles are suffering. Nehemiah 1 verse 4. Nehemiah 1 verse 4. It says, As soon as I heard these words, I sat down and I wept and I mourned for days, and I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. Now, Nehemiah now he bursts into tears, he goes into prayer and fasting. And I don't, um, I don't, we're not going to have time to read the prayer, but I, I, I want you to find time to read this prayer and study what he did. Nehemiah was a top bearer to King Akadosu. I want to ask you, 
school besides royalty will be enjoying more than the top there. Because you know he has to be paid well just so that um, nobody comes to drive him um, so that they get away with what's there. So nobody can come to drive him so that they take out the things. Right? He has to be paid well. So he was living as Nehemiah was comfortable. He was comfortable. And you can tell that for a Jew, an Israelite, to rise to the position of the cup bearer, which means he had strength of character. That is, but uh, the Persian king, an idol worshiper, who trusts him more than he trusts his kingdom. So Nehemiah was comfortable, he was living life. But his response to when he hears that he's the, the city of Jerusalem, the city of God, and his people is still in trouble. His response is sorrow, prayer, and fasting. His response is sorrow and repentance. Because if you read the prayer, he starts praying on behalf of his people and asking that the Lord to forgive them. And that because the Lord, we know in your word, you said that if we pray away from you, that you're going to take us out of your protection and your provision. But Lord, I will pray on behalf of them. You know, one of the things you must understand about true repentance is that true repentance is not remorse. True repentance is not regret. Are you with me? True repentance is turning your heart, your mind, your body, and soul away from sin and towards God. Amen. That's what true repentance is. It's not about feeling bad. Oh, you've done something and <laughs> you're feeling bad, your conscience is judging you. That's all repentance is. And you start feeling remorseful. True repentance leads to truth. Second Corinthians 7 10, Paul says that for godly sorrow, what is what? Repentance. Amen. Christ. For godly sorrow leads to repentance. To salvation. Amen. So, Things that tear our hearts and make us sorrowful. We are learning a principle here from Nehemiah that we must respond, our, our response to sin and death is sorrow, but sorrow that leads to repentance. Are you with me? Are you starting with me? So, prayer and we start interceding for these people. This is the man that was comfortable. He didn't need to, but his heart broke for the people in Israel, in Jerusalem. And he was sorrowful, and he led to repentance. And that's him interceding for the people. Amen. Listen, see why in verse 3 of chapter 1, why the mother broke and said, Respect to me, the remnant here in the province who has survived the exile is in great trouble and shame. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates are destroyed by fire. This was the city of Jerusalem, the city of God, the city of David. When all the prophets had told of the coming of God and the promises 
it will be insane and stumbled and destroyed. And he broke down trying. Sometimes our response to things we see online is just to retreat or to just react. We feel bad for a bit. Then we move on. But your heart breaks for some of the things you see going on in the world. And in repenting, you just pray not just for yourself, but for others. Because we are called to pray for everyone, even the leaders we don't like. Amen. True repentance leads to truth. And true repentance, you will pray on behalf of people. Lord, we have sinned. Forgive us our sins. Amen. So are we talking? Are you talking with me? True repentance is not remorse. It's not regret. It is us turning away from sin, but turning towards God. Hallelujah. So godly sorrow to lead to repentance. But so that's the first thing that we noticed about Nehemiah. That one repentance. This was a man that was living in comfort, that did not need anything materially, but his heart broke for his nation. His heart broke for the state of his people, and he began to intercede for them. So those of us that are familiar with the story, what happens in chapter two? Because with the cupbearer, he goes and he presents himself before King Artaxerxes, and Artaxerxes tells him that I've never seen your face like this. Why are you so down? Like, why is your face gloomy? Another thing we notice about Nehemiah is Nehemiah was a man of prayer. And the Bible says that Nehemiah prayed. When he spoke to the king, when he told the king that, see, my people are living in Istanbul, they are living in the same, can you give me permission to go and rebuild the walls of the city? And after that, he gave him permission. I want you to just talk and think of it. This is a pagan city. The nation of Israel is under them, but he answers his servant's request to go and restore a nation that they have subdued. Why? Because the favor of God was on him. And I believe it's because he prayed. A lot of us pray for the favor of God, but I believe that God's favor, just like we pray for God's grace, God's grace. He will not just give you to waste it. God's favor is for work. It's for His work. Amen? So just as Jesus, Luke tells us that He increased in knowledge, wisdom, and favor with God and men. Amen? We also will increase in favor in heaven and on earth when we have a direction we are going to. So, Nehemiah recognized that He is not Safe in Persia if his people are not safe. Regardless of what he, what he thinks um, prosperity is. So for him, progress, amen, was not staying in comfort, but was going back. Sometimes we think going back is regressing. Going back is not necessarily. Regretting. It is not you losing out. 
Sometimes you go back so you can rebuild. Are you with me? The easiest thing, you know, it's easier to move on than to make progress. Because sometimes, like I said, making progress is, is going back, going back home. Because think about you walk outside in man. So that's all stayed now. Man, oh, with um, pictures of the walls and pictures of people suffering in Jerusalem. Retreat. Don't let this pass you by. You don't know who may be able to help. You understand? Life so that you can help the child in Jerusalem. I really don't know how life translates to God like that, right? But he was so pained by it. He said, I'm going to go back and I'll put my life on the line. This one is not about job security now. He put his life on the line by making that request. But God was with him. Amen. And God responded by Azazel. Let's just even think about it. You'll read his conversation with him after He did not just ask for permission to go back. He said, Pastor, my journey. Let's sponsor the building of the wall. Somebody say liver. Liver say liver. You have liver. <laughs> Do you know what that is akin to right now? That is like going to the Sultan of Sokoto and telling him, I need you to sponsor me building my ministry in your city. Of the email of Kapidot, I don't know. They saw them on them. No, they saw them now. Don't be insulted. I don't know anyway. So, but just think about it. You go to an email with the Sultan and you say, I want you to sponsor the building that they try to build in this city. Well, ah, yes, they'll probably don't laugh at you and because we are in the same climate. Yeah, if you're like, it's off with his head. For the Lord favored Nehemiah. Glory to God. Amen. The Lord favored Nehemiah. One of the things I, I, I read some years ago about something called slacktivism. Slacktivism. Thank you. So, slacktivism basically is a phenomenon. Where people are only active over um, social issues online. So they respond to social issues with likes and tweets. And there's literally a chemical reaction in your brain that makes you feel like you've done something. So someone coined this term, where people feel that they've actually done work. Because they retweeted it, or they liked the fact that they liked the or 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 or, 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 or they responded, you know, with a retweet or a like. But we know that the work is more than retweet and like, right? On social issues, you have to go to the ground. You have to go go in the dirt to do the work. So permit me, I'm going to add a prefix and say there's something called spiritual activity in this world. Where we respond to spiritual things, we like and retweet by posting um, 
going to allow as a caption, maybe for Christians in our bio, we put believers in our bio. And honestly, I'm not trying to read any of that, but I'm just saying it's more than that. So a lot of us spend time trying to appear like Christians, and we don't behave like Christians. In the church, we call that hypocrisy, right? Psychologists call that cognitive dissonance, where you are claiming to be one thing, but your behavior is opposite to But not Nehemiah. Nehemiah would have just stopped at prayer. Please now pray over Jerusalem. Like, nothing else. We move. You understand? Then you might, to be honest, you might even go around like, excuse me, have you heard what's happening in Jerusalem? We need to pray. We need to pray. Love and light. You understand? Like, and that's what we'll move there. Ah, you said that you did another speech. You are doing well. You understand? Like, we will just, we are easily, we are far too easily distracted. We are not just far too easily distracted. Our hearts, we, we, we pretend to care. But we are learning from the mind. We really care. We will respond by going to do work. Amen. So, Nehemiah is giving resources. He goes back home. He doesn't tell anyone what's happening. But I want you to notice something. In, um, let's go to Nehemiah 2, verse 12. Because a lot of us, when we want to hear the vision of God for our life or what our life's purpose. You want to hear like you want God to appear to you like Gandalf. Or you want God to appear to you in Bonnie. You want that experience where like God says the Lord, like Eva, I have called you to go and lead it. You want heaven to break. It's not always like that. A vision and purpose for your life sometimes is by the burden in your heart. Amen. So can you notice that God did not tell Nehemiah in words the way he spoke to Moses about what to do. But let's see what Nehemiah said about it. Let's read Nehemiah 2 verse 12. He says, Then I arose in the night, I and a few men with me, and I told no one what my God had put in my heart to do for Jerusalem. You see that word? I told no one what God had put in my heart to do for Jerusalem. So many of us, the Lord has put burdens in your heart. But we ignore it. We stifle it. We stifle the Spirit of God. So many of you, you walk around and you see um, sex workers, you see um, these boys that beg, and your heart breaks for it. You see things that are happening in the uh, uh, um, sphere of politics and governance. And your heart breaks for it. You see the world broken in different areas, and your heart is breaking. You see how women are being treated. Your heart is breaking. For, for so many of us, we stop our spiritual activity. Let us pray. Let, let us pray. Not like that. Because it is the Lord. So God put a burden. In Nehemiah's heart, 
The burden led to sorrow. The sorrow led to repentance. The repentance led to the rebuilding. The, the vision for your life, it will not come in form of a burning book. It will not be like Gideon where an angel will come. So it won't happen like that. I'm sorry. Some of you, it will be a burden because it breaks God's heart. And he's placing a burden in your heart and he wants to do the work through you. Everybody say, God wants to do the, his work through me. One more time, God wants to do his work through me. No more spiritual activity. But the vision for your life is usually the burden in God's heart that he has placed in your own heart. Hallelujah. So what is your response to it? Are you praying about it? And are you going to rebuild what God is placing in your heart? If you are to make progress, you must have a vision. And that vision, it comes in different ways. That may speak to you in an audible voice, or it may be quiet like a burden, like maybe mild. And some of you have silenced this burden because you think that it's about you. Sorry, I'm bad. It's not about you. It's not about how you can get more followers. It's not about how God can increase your reputation. It's about how He can restore His people. The vision God has given you, the burden that God has given you, is not usually about you. It's about others. It's for others. Amen. And because you think too big of yourself and you think too little of God, you stifle that burden that God has placed in your And I'm saying this because when some of us, the vision that God has given us, it's too big, then we think too, you, you start to think, how do I sponsor this? God is not about you. You get what I'm saying? How much? How much? Uh, sponsor, how much did they manage to sponsor that world? Prayer. To address his boss, sponsor the rebuilding of the world. So when you think marriage or um, your career or whatever it is you're doing, what your vision is, it's not about you. Any parents will tell you. That one of the last things they think about, like Christian one of the last things they think about is finance. Because God almost always told them. Because they are his, you are stewards. Amen. I, as the pastor of the church, I know where my man has gone. There's no way I'll be responsible. But God puts burdens in your heart because as a pastor and I stand here and I share, oh, we have the tribe, we have all the people And every one of you comes Sunday after Sunday and you give towards the community, towards the building of the church. I will be a fool to think that I can sponsor this ministry. And no pastor will tell you 
that they are the one that's pointing their ministry. They know it's God. Anybody that's active in ministry knows that it's God that is sponsoring the person. Try by you with me. Are you following me this morning? So some of you are thinking too big of yourself. I'm sorry. Not, you're not going to sponsor the vision. God will. Amen. So concerning the vision, what breaks your heart? Usually, we point at what breaks God's heart. Hallelujah. Why do you wake up in the morning? Where do you invest your time and your treasure? It usually points to what God wants us to do. What is the vision for your life? For the past three weeks, I've been saying we must have the holy ambition. Amen. We must have a holy ambition. Like Paul said, that the gospel must be preached from Jerusalem to what Look, from Jerusalem to Illyricum. And Jesus' ambition, which was giving the disciples, was this gospel must be preached to the what? Enemies of the earth. Glory to God. So what is your ambition? It, it, it's what, and you have an ambition, something that you know is too big that you want to do for God, for the glory of God. And usually it's not just um, God, in a sense, placing, it's not God telling you to do something. For instance, David wanted to build a temple for God, right? God now said, no, 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 there's too much blood in my hands. You're not going to build a temple. You're not going to build a temple. You're from there. You understand? But at least David had that um, burden, that desire, that holy ambition. And he did everything before his death by purchasing, you know, um, equipment and material to sponsor the work. Glory to God. Amen. Do you have a holy ambition? Do you have a holy vision? Do you have something that you're living for that is bigger than you? What concerns a cup bearer with civil engineering? Isn't his job supposed to be just chowing? So, another thing about your vision and um, ambition, sometimes God will call you to do something that you are not necessarily trained for. So, a lot of us will do things for God that we do not get a degree for. Are you following me? So, the top bearer became a civil engineer. Why? Because of the vision of God. What brings your heart? And you know, some of us may think it's just a word. It, it wasn't just a word. It was something that was supposed to protect the city because there were so many promises and prophecies over the city and of the coming Messiah. So Nehemiah, in a sense, was building the wall because of you. Are you with me, sir? So he, he, he knew scripture, he knew the prophecies, he knew the promises of God. And he went to work for that sake. Hallelujah. So many of us, the Lord will call us to do things that we are not necessarily trained for, but your heart will break for it. What is your heart breaking for? Is it to lead a prayer ministry? Is it to lead women? Is it to lead um, 
people on, on freedom financing. Is it to teach? Is it to serve in a local assembly? What is your ability? How are you contributing to advancing the kingdom of God? Amen. So to make progress, sometimes we have to go back like we have So are we, are we together? We're together. So the man goes, he sees the, the ruin, then he proceeds to pray again, then he gathers the people, and he gets the vision. Because a vision is to be for one man. Hey, this is vision is to be for one man. Like I said, you think too much of yourself and you think too less of God. Nehemiah proceeds, verses um, Nehemiah 2 17 to 18. Says, Then I said to them, You see the trouble we are in, how Jerusalem lies in ruins and its gates are burned. Come, let us build the wall of Jerusalem that we may no longer suffer pollution. And I told them, The hand of my God that has been upon me for good. Also, the words that the king has spoken to me, that he said, Let us rise up and build. So they strengthened their hands for the good work. Glory! They strengthened their hands for the good work. So in Himalaya, he goes, he appears, he, he, he arrives at Jerusalem, he and his family go around, they see the ruins, he assesses what the, the work that needs to be done, right? Then he goes and he speaks to the people and he tells them, He has come from Persia. The king has given us permission. I have the documents here. He has not given us permission. He has given us resources. So we have permission and we have resources. Then he now says that God, God's hand is upon me to do this work. And he says, Let's do this work together. And they strengthen their hands for the work. Hallelujah. So many of us, our place in the work of God is not necessarily the is not necessarily being the visionary. Some of us, the Lord will call us to work alongside people to build His vision. Amen. So when I say don't think too much of yourself, I also want you to understand that some of us we will play the background. Amen. Some of us need to be co-laborers with visionaries. So those of us who may be visionaries, you stand because the vision is too big for one man. You stand and you share it with others. Say, this is what the Lord is calling me to. Let us do the work. And if you are fully called by God, permission, resources, and you find co-laborers. Glory to God. Amen. So you share the vision. You can't do God's work on your own. It's too big for one man. It's too big for one person. God wants to do this work through us. So I think our duty and our posture should always be God, what are you doing and how can I do it? Amen. I also said um, two weeks ago that our duty is not just to ask God to do great things for us, but asking what great things can we do for Him. A lot of us complain about church, but you hardly the complaints that you are making. What is your response to the complaints? Are you doing anything to build the church, to build the body? 
some of us, our only response to anything is complaint. But what are you doing? How are you partnering with God to advance His kingdom? Our posture should be, God, what are you doing and how can I be a part of it? Don't just ask God for great things. Ask what great things can you do for God? Amen. Glory to God. I'm doing kind of like a crowd talking with so, we see something, um, we see opposition in the face of the world. So, these two guys, Tobias and Sambala, their names sound exactly like enemies. Like, how enemies name is Sambala? Tobias. Wait, I don't know what they call Tobias. Because <laughs> I know that's what they call Tobias. Okay, I'm sorry. Swallow my words. They sound like villains. Tobias and Sambalat, they oppose the world. They come, they try different things. They try to set Nehemiah up. They come and they tell them that the king doesn't support this. Um, they send letters to the king saying that um, the Israelites are trying to rebel against Persia. But God has them. Amen. I want you to see something. Because Nehemiah knew that the favor of God was upon him. He had permission from King Artaxerxes. He had the resources. Let's see what his response to opposition would be Nehemiah 4, verse 6. Nehemiah 4, verse 6. It says, So we built the wall, and all the wall was joined together to have a child. This is the part I want us to see. For the people had a mind to work. So, we also got rumors that people were coming to attack what they were doing. So these people started to deal um, with a spear in one hand and a sword in the other. Amen. I think also it's a posture that we must have that we must pray and ask. We must work and worship. Amen. That if we are to achieve the vision God has put for us, because he also stationed watchmen on the wall so that the work will make progress. And in 52 days, the work of the world is completed. So, a lot of us, we must know that we will face opposition in the vision God has called you to live up, in your ambition. You will face opposition. Are you with me? You will find people that do not want you to make progress. Because the, 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 the enemy thrives on our stagnation. Are you with me? So our response to opposition is to number one, strong your mind. Everybody say strong your mind. So the people said, said the mind said, the people had a mind to work. So they struggle with our mind. So many of us power under oppression and opposition. No, God has given you permission. His favor is upon you. He will protect you. Set your mind to work. Glory to God. If you have to make progress, powers won't make progress. 
complacent people won't make progress. Because if you keep on thinking who is out to get you, you will remain stagnant. So I just want to tell you, there is always going to be a Tobias and Shaman at a different point. But you need to strong your mind. Everybody says, strong your mind. Basically, for Amen. That is our heart and our mind. Because why? The spirit that the Lord has given us is not the spirit of fear. Amen. It's not the spirit of fear. It's the spirit of God. The sons of God are the ones that know God. And they that know their God are strong. And they do great things. They do excellent. Glory to God. So, assess where you are. How are you responding to fear? Are you strengthening your mind? Glory to God. If you read uh, chapter 3, you see a list of people that are like this. too big for one man. So, Nehemiah shared this vision, right? And everybody, you now tell everybody, where you live, build the wall that is in front of you. So all of us cannot be, not everybody can be a pastor, not everybody can be a prayer ministry, not everyone can be a pastor. Face what is in front of you and build it. Amen. Because it is a collective work. Glory to God. Great commission, the work of God, the vision of God is a collective, our collective duty, and it's our role to ask where our place is and build accordingly. So, very quickly, I want us to see the Nehemiah journey from copier to um, civil engineer, from civil engineer to governor. So, he starts noticing also that the exiles start oppressing the poor, and that there are people living in squalor and poverty. So, Nehemiah was a box stop person. So, he starts, uh, he becomes a governor, and he starts attending to social issues, and he's sponsoring people, and he's generous, and he's um, releasing people from bondage. Then, because of some form of reformation that is happening, a revival breaks through as well because he calls Ezra, who had been in the city years prior, and had led Jerusalem to revival. And Ezra read the gather the, 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 the people and they read the, the, the scriptures again. And these people are broken. They see their sin. They become sorrowful. And God is told, what happens? Leads to repentance. The man repented. He rebuilt. Reformed. And was a revivalist. Hallelujah. So when we look at, look at the story of Nehemiah, we should not just see a, a story of God, somebody that God has lifted, someone that God has changed his story, God will change my story the way he changed Nehemiah's story. May he know, now he feels that's not how it happened. Nehemiah had a burden from God. 
he had to was sorrowful about the state of his people, sorrowful about the state of affairs of um, the city of Jerusalem. And his response was repentance, and repentance when he put his life on the line so that he could rebuild the city. And seeing the state of the city and the scene in it, he became a reformer and a revivalist. So many of us must understand that to make progress, we have to go back. Complacency is easy. You can stay comfortable easy. But I can tell you that the enemy tries to make comfort. He loves to see you relax. Because in comfort is your stagnation. And you won't move forward if you don't see what God is doing in particular. So many of us, we must leave our comfort zone. Amen. We must move from sending positive energy. We must move from sending love and light. We must move from lighting and repeating to prayer. And from prayer to work. Amen. That's what our 2021 should be like. Glory to God. So what's that burden that God is placing in your heart? How's that going to be so that you can become everything that God has called you to be and to do? Thank you so much for listening. We hope you were blessed by the message. To listen to more, continue subscribing, sharing, and rating the podcast. We love you.